and welcome to the Hormonal Mama podcast. I am your host, Kara Drescher. Today on the show, I am talking specifically about infertility and my own personal experience. My last few episodes have been amazing interviews with some really talented women, but my focus in the last few episodes has been talking to women working with pregnant women and postpartum women. While I have some really amazing guests coming up in the next few weeks and months who do focus on infertility, I wanted to take the opportunity today to talk a little bit more about my experience and some things that helped me when I was going through what you may be going through right now. Infertility is so complex and it affects everyone differently, even if you and someone else have the same diagnosis. The way it affects you emotionally, physically, and the logistics of it all is going to vary from person to person. And that is something that I don't think I really understood in the beginning of my journey. So I want to take some time to tell you my infertility journey from beginning to where I am now. To start things off, I would like to tell you kind of how my journey even began. When my husband and I got married, we instantly knew we wanted to start a family together. That was never a question. We even, believe it or not, we even had our children's names picked out, which is funny because we ended up naming them completely different names than what we had planned from like our fifth date or something like that. So that's kind of interesting. But when we first decided that we wanted to have kids, we weren't ready to start the process. It took us a few years in our marriage and our life to feel like we were really the the big concern was financially, are we ready? And logistically, where are we going to put our children? Meaning we didn't have a place of our own at the time. We didn't have room for kids. We always joked, where are kids going to go? Are they going to sleep in the closet? Are they going to sleep in a drawer? Because we just didn't have the space and it didn't seem fair to have a child when we had nowhere to put them. So that was sort of the beginning of the journey was realizing that this was something that was going to take time. Three years into our marriage uh, that we were finally ready to start trying to start a family. Those first three years for me were like torture. I was as emotionally ready as I could possibly be. I couldn't, there, there wasn't any, there wasn't anything that could have made me want a child more than what I was already feeling. It was overwhelming. And when you're in that place where you want to get pregnant, you want to have a child so badly, every single pregnancy seems huge. And every single person you know, at least it feels like, is pregnant. And then you get into the celebrity aspect and you realize celebrities, like everybody, get pregnant. But when you want it so badly and it's not happening for you, that's always when it seems like not just everyone around you, but the celebrities are all getting pregnant too. And it it's a crappy feeling, if I'm being perfectly honest, really feeling desperate. Like, why is this? Everybody else is having what I want. And it sucked. But... 
we also didn't know at the time that we were going to be dealing with infertility. So I kept reasoning with myself like, okay, however long it takes until we're ready and we can do this, it's okay because we're going to have a baby and you don't, you don't anticipate infertility. So you don't go into it thinking, okay, we're going to wait. And then, you know, when it's really difficult, that's when we'll worry. No, you, you don't, you don't anticipate it usually. It just depends on the case, obviously. But anyway, when I was going through those three years, both my sister and my best friend ended up pregnant at the same time. And that was really hard for me because I was happy for them. I was excited to be an aunt and to have a cousin. My my best friend's also my cousin. I should mention that. And I just felt this, you know, disappointment. Like, oh, why can't I be pregnant? It just hurt. It was painful for me. So there came a point where our circumstances started to change and everything was kind of going in a different direction. And we felt like, okay, we're ready to start trying for a family. Perfect. We were moving into our own place. My husband got a good job. It was all falling into place. Or so we thought. When we first started trying, it was right before Thanksgiving of 2015. And I had it in my mind that, well, It'll be a little tougher because I was 35 at the time, and statistically speaking, it is more difficult to conceive a child when you're over 35. That's just statistics speaking. So I was prepared for the possibility that it might take a little longer. But about, I don't know, I want to, I'm not good with the math, but that was November 2015, and then August 2016, we said, okay, it's time to see a specialist. It's been more than six months. We need to to find out what's going on. So I got the referral. I was getting ready to schedule my appointment. And then a life-changing accident, and I mean that, happened. Um, I slipped, fell down the stairs, dislocated my shoulder, and tore my rotator cuff. My trusty right shoulder. I'm right-handed if that helps the story at all. And this was a traumatic, traumatic injury because I'm a massage therapist. And obviously with a torn rotator cuff and a dislocated shoulder, can't really work. To make a really long, complicated story shorter, I ended up having two surgeries on that shoulder and spent 13 months recovering. I was in physical therapy. I think when we calculated at the end over the the 13 months that I was out of work, I had 86 physical therapy appointments across two different physical therapy practices. And I think it was a total of five different physical therapists, which were all amazing. I love physical therapy. It's amazing. Um, But that's besides the point. (laughs) And I, that uprooted my entire life. I couldn't work. I couldn't do my profession that I've been trained for my entire adult life that I've built my life around. I love what I do for a living and I couldn't do it for over a year. And that was extremely difficult, not just the emotional side, but financially. I mean, everything was was crazy. In terms of trying to get pregnant, if I can't use my right shoulder. What if I were to get pregnant, have a baby, and not be able to even hold the baby because 
I'm in a sling and I can't use my right arm for such a long time. So we put it off for a while. And then I think it was February 2017 was when we finally made the appointment and we saw a fertility specialist and she was and is amazing. She was one of the the most wonderful people I've ever met, actually. And so was everyone in the practice. Um, but I, I met with her and we had tests done. You know, when you go and get checked for infertility, um, you know, or not for infertility, when they check your um, blood work, they do imaging of your reproductive system, they do all kinds of testing to determine what might be causing your inability to conceive. So over the course of a couple of months and lots of blood work between Dave and I, Dave is my husband, if I've never mentioned that before, I'm sure I have though. Um, and in the end, the end result was that it was considered unexplained infertility. And unexplained infertility, I cannot and I would never think to speak for anyone else, whether it's unexplained infertility or explained. I can only tell you my experience and my experience with unexplained infertility is more questions than answers, which is, again, a crappy feeling. You go in there and you're expecting to find out why can't I have a baby? And you leave with no answers. You leave scratching your head and saying, okay, again, why can't I have a baby? Now, if you have a diagnosis that, you know, the most common ones are PCOS and endometriosis, I am in no way saying that is easier because it is not. I really want to emphasize that regardless of what your diagnosis or lack of diagnosis is, it is all just as hard. If you're dealing with secondary infertility, that is just as hard. It's just different. That's what I want to really emphasize is it doesn't matter what is causing your infertility. It's all unfair. None of it is harder or better than any of the others. That, I think, really was the, the biggest thing that I didn't understand at the beginning of my journey. Whenever I heard someone say that they were dealing with secondary infertility. I was like, well, what is that? And if you don't know, basically what that means is that you've had a prior successful pregnancy and now you're unable to conceive for some reason. And it sucks. I've now, over the years, I've met a lot of women who have gone through secondary infertility and I get it now. I understand it's not any better or worse than primary infertility. It's just as unfair. It's just as difficult to go through. So I'm going a little off topic here, but that's something that I really like to emphasize because I think people don't realize that. So I was diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which meant that there's no apparent reason for my infertility. There was nothing in my blood work or imaging or anything medically to explain why I couldn't conceive. So here we were without a diagnosis, just wondering, well, what the heck are we supposed to do now? And my amazing reproductive endocrinologist, and if you don't know what that means, if you hear anyone refer to an RE 
that's a reproductive endocrinologist. They're also known as fertility specialists. Their specialty, reproductive, right, which is the reproductive system, endocrinologist, which refers to the endocrine system or hormones. So their job is to understand hormones and reproduction, essentially fertility. So that's just a little lesson for you. Um, at the time when we were wondering, well, what are we supposed to do? She sat us down and she told us, you know, we have options here. When we're dealing with unexplained infertility, we kind of have to get more creative, try different things and see what works. So our very first step was Clomid. Clomid is hard to explain, but it is a fertility medication. The idea is that it doesn't exactly trigger your body to ovulate, but it tricks your body into thinking it hasn't ovulated. So sort of forces it to ovulate. Um, and the first step was, you know, I wasn't having any issues ovulating, but hey, let's try this medication and see what happens. So again, to make a long story short, we tried it, didn't work. I ovulated, nothing happened. So we decided to take the next step, which was intrauterine insemination, also known as artificial insemination or IUI. When we started our first cycle, it was IUI and Clomid. So take the medication and do the IUI. And you know, it's it's a whole process. You have to go to the doctor's office. Your partner has to uh, bring their sperm, essentially, whether they collect it at home or at the doctor's office. It has to be kept at a certain temperature. They process it. And it's a, it's a whole process, basically weeding out the bad sperm and keeping what they often call the super sperm. And then they put it into your uterus and then they wait and see what happens. In my case, we went through this in the end, not, this isn't in order, but in the end, we went through it nine times. And statistically, I, I always roll my eyes when I say when I say statistically, because statistics are extremely important. However, they can also be extremely misleading. So I kind of roll my eyes and sometimes quote when I say that or sound like, oh, stupid, you know, statistics. But that's not quite what I mean when I say that. Statistically speaking, IUIs have a success rate. I don't know the, the success rate, but usually if it's going to be successful, it's going to be successful in the first three attempts. But our insurance wouldn't pay for the next step. And what's the next step? IVF, in vitro fertilization. Because our insurance wouldn't pay for IVF, but they did pay for our IUIs, we continued to try them. We just continued to try in the hopes that we would have that elusive success. But unfortunately, we didn't. In addition to those nine IUIs, we also had two medicated-only cycles. So one cycle was just Clomid, and one was just Letrozole. And letrozole is a similar fertility medication to Clomid, but with different mechanisms. So it's it's not the same. It is different. So we did two cycles with just those. And then we had actually got, decided that it was time to try IVF. And IVF was scary. I'll be honest. It was intimidating. We knew we couldn't afford it. So we actually 
applied for a grant. If you've never heard of a fertility grant, these are amazing, amazing opportunities for couples or singles even to get financial assistant assistance when trying to go through fertility treatments. Now, every there are so many amazing foundations out there that offer these types of grants. Um, I've applied to a number of them, and I have a fertility treatment grant guide available on my website, and I'm actually working on a five-day personal essay challenge because when you are going through infertility and you are requesting financial assistance, they require you to write a personal essay telling them all about you. And that can be really hard to do anyway. But when you are in the midst of the emotional turmoil and stress and all of the things in infertility, it can be really hard. So I will be hosting a great five-day challenge to walk you through writing your personal essay because I was approved for two different fertility grants from two different foundations because of my personal essay. And I strongly believe that the method I took to write my essay is what, what did this for me. So that's a little side note for you. You know, I'm full of side notes. But what I would like to talk about is my IVF experience. We were granted a $5,000 grant from a, a foundation in our area, and it, it, it made it possible. We still had to take out a loan and we had to ask for some financial assistance from family, but we were able to try this when we wouldn't have been otherwise. And IVF was intense. It, it was a lot more intense than I ever thought it would be. There were medications I had to take, injections I had to give myself, or rather that Dave had to give me because I wasn't going to do it myself. And it was daily. And there came a point where I was doing three in injections a day, two in my stomach and one in my lower back. And boy, it, it, it's a lot. That's what nobody tells you about IVF is it's a lot and you don't realize just how heavy it is until you start. That is something I wish I knew when I started my infertility journey. Just hearing someone say it's a lot to deal with isn't enough. You need to understand it hits you when you start the process and it is overwhelming. So a piece of advice here for you, join a fertility support group, whether that is in person or online. I personally like Facebook groups, and I got so much support from joining groups that were specific to infertility. I had joined groups for, you know, just infertility in general. I joined support groups for IVF for women over 35. I joined support groups for non-religious women going through infertility because I'm not religious and that that really spoke to me. I found so much support, information, just knowledge that I gained from these support groups. However, <laughs> I must say when it's a large group of women who are going through the 
incredible stress and pain of infertility plus hormonal treatments, things can get heated. I will just put that out there. So be very particular about what groups you join. Um, but that was the number one thing that that helped me get through my infertility journey was having support from other women going through or who had gone through a similar experience. Now, when we went through IVF, to give you the results a little bit, we ended up, after our egg retrieval, we ended up with seven eggs. Seven. Now, you hear sometimes women, you know, come out of their egg retrieval and tell you, oh my gosh, my doctor got 60 eggs. That's excessive. That is a lot. And it's highly likely, not definite, of course, nothing ever is, but it's highly likely, likely that they were overstimulated, which can lead to OHSS, which actually stands for ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Now, when this happens, the ovaries get so overstimulated that they enlarge much more than they should, and this can cause all kinds of problems, complications, and in some cases, death. So when you go into an IVF cycle, don't anticipate to have an extremely high number of eggs, but... I, you know, I want to say it's somewhere between 15 and 20. I don't really know the numbers, but something like that is usually what they're looking for. In my case, I got seven, which wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. But what they found out later was that only three of those eggs were mature. Now, an immature egg, you can't fertilize. The egg needs to be mature and ready for fertilization. So those four other eggs were useless, essentially. They couldn't be fertilized. So we had three eggs, and we chose to go a direction, what they call ICSI, which is I-C-S-I, which, which stands for intracytoplasmic sperm injection, which essentially means that they take a very tiny syringe and inject the sperm directly into the egg. This has a greater chance of fertilization, but not in our case. Unfortunately, of those three eggs, only one fertilized. The other two, the fertilization process did not continue. So we had one fertilized egg and fertilized egg was going to be transferred back into my uterus on day three. Usually they wait until day five um, after your egg retrieval, giving the egg and the sperm a chance to fertilize and then develop a little bit more before they put it back into your uterus. Unfortunately, because I only had the one egg that fertilized, they wanted to do it sooner. They wanted it to, to get that guy or girl back into the optimal environment as quickly as possible. So on day three, I went in and they put that that baby, if you will, into my uterus. And then the idea was to wait and we were going to see what happened. And then they draw blood. And after, I can't remember exactly how many days it was, but they draw blood to determine if HCG, which is the pregnancy hormone, is in your blood. So this is the same thing that at-home pregnancy tests detect in your urine, but this is at the doctor testing your blood. Unfortunately, I was not pregnant. Our fertilized egg 
did not implant into my uterus. And that, I'm going to be very personal here and tell you that was the saddest day just about of my whole life. I was devastated when she called and told me I was not pregnant. I felt defeated again. I had taken so many pregnancy tests over the course of the two and a half years at that point that we had been trying and going through fertility treatments, and I never, ever saw a positive. And every time I had blood work drawn and it was obvious that I wasn't pregnant from the IUI and I was going to have to go through another cycle, it was devastating. And this was even worse because we had finally, at least for me, we had finally made a baby or the beginning of a baby and that baby didn't stick around to join us. And it was heartbreaking. Now, even though it isn't the same as a miscarriage, because with a miscarriage, the embryo or marula implants, and with a failed IUI, it doesn't implant. However, I want to emphasize for anyone who is going through the same experience or knows someone who is, I've experienced a miscarriage as well. And the pain is not any different. Both were equally painful for me. A lot of people said to me things like, well, if you just think, you know, it wasn't quite a baby yet, that would help. And I understand that they were trying to be helpful and trying to take my pain away from me, but that ended up making it worse and more painful. Almost like my feelings didn't matter. When you're going through infertility, all of these things are painful. They are so emotionally distressing and it it tears you apart inside. And when our little attempt at a baby didn't stick around with us, I went to a dark place. Every morning I would open my eyes and they were swollen because I had been crying probably in my sleep and I'd just stare at the window and I didn't want to talk. I just, it was a very, very dark place to be. And I think that people don't realize how dark that can feel. I was distraught. I was so heartbroken. I didn't know what what can I do now? And at that point, it took a while for me to realize, but at that point we felt, okay, it's time to move to a different doctor. It was either it, it was kind of for me it was two options. Move to a different practice, try someone else or be done. And I wasn't ready to be done. Even though I knew there was a good chance that I wasn't going to have success, I wasn't finished trying to find out if it could happen. So again, to make another long story short, we went and saw a new doctor and she had a very radical approach. From the moment we met with her, I knew this was going to be a very different experience. And in a way, it felt like, all right, maybe this will be more of a roller coaster, which was really scary. But we also knew we loved our first doctor. And I had a very, very difficult time letting go of the fact that we were going to be seeing someone else and not her anymore. So eventually I got comfortable. We had some discussions about what we were going to try next. And 
you know, we did some more testing, we did some more things, and we were ready to do another cycle of IVF. I applied for another grant, and I'd actually applied between cycles. I had applied for the grant so that I could hopefully be able to afford the next IVF, and I was not approved. However, I applied a second time, wrote a new personal essay, not the same one I had originally sent them, and I was granted this um, grant. <laughs> I was granted this grant. I was approved for this grant, but, and I'll get to the but in a minute, we were preparing to go through IVF again. So part of my protocol was going to be taking both Clomid and Letrozole together. And that's, you know, somewhat controversial. I don't think it's done very often. But she said, you know, you've already been through this, this, and this. Let's try a different approach. Let's get, you know, creative, think outside the box. Let's get radical with it, if you will. So we did. And nothing happened. I didn't ovulate any differently, and I didn't conceive. And we did an IUI. This was the ninth IUI. And I was like, well, this is such a waste. And she said, well, let's, you know, we were, this was, I think it was November. And we were planning on doing IVF again in January. So we had some time. And she said, okay, let's try another cycle. We'll do another IUI. This would have been my 10th IUI. And we'll do the Clomid and Letrozole again. But let me just change up the schedule a little bit of when you take each. And I didn't think anything of it. I really didn't. Now, you know, I realized there was a method to this because when I went in for my mid-cycle monitoring to check when I was going to be ovulating, I had already ovulated. And that was very unexpected. That was not in the cards. My doctor was surprised. It was it was early. And not only did I ovulate, but I had released three eggs. Now, over the years of going through fertility treatments, I, you know, I was lucky if I released more than one egg. I mean, it was always one egg. I think one or two times there were two eggs. This was the first time that it was three eggs, and that was very surprising to all of us. To make a very, I keep saying to make a long story short, and obviously my stories are always long, but trust me, we're 30 minutes in here, and a lot of my stories, I would have gotten to this point after like an hour and a half, so you're lucky. <laughs> anyway, um, to abbreviate, we'll say that, we went home and we said, okay, well, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna do this the natural way, we're gonna have sex and see what happens, and two weeks later, I felt Something felt different inside of me. I, I didn't physically feel much, but my stomach was doing unusual things, and there were some things going on that I was like, this is not quite right. And sure enough, it was a Sunday. It was about two weeks after we had discovered that I had ovulated, and we said, hmm, all right. And I said to my, I said to Dave, you know, I think I should take a pregnancy test. And he said, okay, you know, if you think you should. Now, I had taken, I can't even begin to tell you how many pregnancy tests I have taken in my life over those couple of years. It was insane. And so the thought of having a negative pregnancy test was in my head. However, 
I also knew that this was something about this was different. Every part of this was different. So I said to him, these were my exact words. My gut tells me it's positive and my head tells me it's not. And I went and took the test and three minutes later, we looked at it and we looked at each other and we couldn't believe what we saw. Two lines. I was definitely pregnant. Now, we told his parents and we told my parents that same day and it was overwhelming because this had never happened before. It didn't feel real. I went to work the next day. I told one person. I wasn't going to tell anyone else. And then at the end of the day, one of my students at the time came in and gave me a bonsai tree that she got for me because I was inspirational to her. And I started crying. And in my mind, I thought, all right, just tell them. And I did. Thanksgiving was a few days later. And I told my siblings and my nieces and my nephew and, and my parents were, well, they already knew. And it was amazing. And we knew that a few days later, I was going to, you know, have my blood work or the next day. That's what it was. I was going to have my blood work and find out some more details. So the next day I had my blood work and my numbers were really high. My HCG levels were very, very high. So they said, okay, well, come in on Monday because your levels are high enough that we'll be able to see something on the ultrasound. And I said, okay. I went in on Monday with Dave and sure enough, on the ultrasound, were three embryos in my uterus. Now, I still say that, and it's a shock to my system, because what? <laughs> I mean, who expects more than one baby? Especially after everything, after 14 fertility treatments, that's a lot. And to see three babies in there, I mean, that was shocking. Now, at the time, she said, okay, well, this third one is iffy, so come back next week and we'll see following week went back in and they said, oh, there's definitely three in there. But it was still iffy. And so the next, I think it was five weeks, we went in every week for an ultrasound. And it was Christmas Eve. And this was 2018. It was Christmas Eve. We went in for an ultrasound. And baby C wasn't there anymore. I had miscarried. And it was devastating. Again, that is so hard to put into words for people. I don't know what it's like to be pregnant with one baby and miscarry. I cannot begin to compare or put myself in those shoes. What I can say is miscarriages are complicated. Miscarriages happen at all weeks in pregnancy. They don't all happen in the first trimester, though the vast majority do. Miscarriages are something you can't ever say anything about. If you've been through miscarriage, that's the one exception. If you have never been through the loss of a baby in any way, it's not something that you can say, I understand how difficult that is. You can say, I can't un imagine, but 
I can't say what it's like to lose the baby that's inside of my body and not have two other babies in there. I don't know what it's like to be pregnant with twins and lose one of them. I only know what it's like to be pregnant with triplets and lose one. And my experience will not be the same as anyone else's experience because experiences in terms of infertility, pregnancy, and postpartum, while all of these things can be similar, they're never going to be exactly the same from one person to another. It's going to depend on what happened and who you are. That's important. Someone who loses a pregnancy at 12 weeks versus someone who loses a pregnancy at 17 weeks, they're going to be different situations, but it's also going to depend on the person. So that is something extremely important that I want to emphasize, which is why I said before, going through an unsuccessful IVF, while it's not a miscarriage, I know what a miscarriage is like in my experience. And my miscarriage was just as painful as my failed IVF. I just, you know, infertility was the hardest three years of my life. I am 40, well, look at this, I'm going to be 41 soon. So I'm going to call myself 41 because we've got less than two months to go. And I have a lot more life to live. I know there will be things that will probably be harder, but I don't know for sure. I can only say infertility is not something to be taken lightly. You have every right to feel however it makes you feel. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. That's what I'm getting at today. I'm sharing my very lengthy story with you because I want you to understand, as someone who may be going through infertility, I get it. You need support. If you don't have a support system, please reach out. Reach out to me. Email me at cara at thehormonalmama.com and I will help you find the support. I promise. Support is essential. If you don't have support when you're going through infertility, it is going to be a lot harder. That's number one. If you aren't going through infertility, but you know someone who is going through infertility, please, please reach out. Ask them what they need. You may not be able to relate to what they're going through, but please ask them what they need. Let them know you love them. That is the most important thing you can do for someone going through infertility. I really hope that this episode helped you. I hope that hearing my experience helped you realize you are not alone. You are not alone in this journey. There are a lot of us out here who want to support you because we know how lonely and painful it is to go through infertility. So like I said before, reach out to me. I am here to help you. That is what I do. I will guide you to the right place. I will help you and support you in any way that I can. Next week, my guest is a fellow massage therapist and trauma-informed touch specialist. She is also someone who is studying to become a period coach, which I think is 
fascinating. And you'll want to learn a lot about this because if you are a woman and you have gone through infertility, pregnancy, or postpartum, you understand the complications of menstruation. So tune in next week. Check it out. This will be a great episode. 